Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 41, Iman Shabazz. I met Iman at uh, a cast party for the David Mame play race at uh, Carol Pearsall's house uh, in December. Carol Pearsall used to be the director of the Firehouse Theater, and now she's got a independent theater production program going on all over the city, and actually I'm going to have her on soon. But uh, anyway, went to see Race, because Morgan, my girlfriend, has been working, had been working the box office at the theater uh, downtown, and uh, she got, the last night of the show, she got free tickets, so we went and checked it out, and uh, if you are not familiar with that play, uh, it's a real intense, in-your-face exploration of uh, attitudes around for better word, race. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that word to describe the differences in uh, culture that really make up uh, the conflicts. I, I see. You know, I see us as having one race going on, the human race, and then we got a lot of different expressions of the human adaptation and phenotypes, and then we got a lot of different expressions of human culture, and. Uh, I mean, this this play specifically gets into the white and black thing, and uh, you know, it made watching it made me uncomfortable. And then we went to a party afterwards, and all the actors were there, and Iman was there. And Iman's fiance Katrina was the female lead in the play. She's actually in a production of Death and the Maiden that's uh, out right now, uh, February nineteenth, I think. It's been open for a little while. And uh, he and I started talking and uh, talking about various things related to the city of Richmond and its uh, stuckness around said issues and uh, what could possibly be the solution. Because I am, I'm really interested in the solution. As I have, you have, I have a particular perspective around that sort of thing. As you, those of you who listen to this show a lot, know that I've, I have some experience with recovery and the uh, most effective attitude I've had in recovery is that you don't worry about what happened. You worry about what's the solution to what happened. And really put your energy into the solution. And that's where I'm at now. And I'm, I'm 44 years old and I've heard a lot of talk about the problems um, in Richmond and um, amongst between African American people and white people in this town since I was old enough to understand English. I grew up in Churchill. I still live in Churchill. I now live in Union Hill, which is in the northern part of Churchill. And I've been listening to the problem for a long time. I want to talk about the solution. So uh, Iman and I get into a lot of stuff. I start off talking to him about his uh, what he does as an actor and a hip-hop MC and some... didn't even really get to the activist part. We kind of started talking about that. And then, then I started wanting him to define his terms and... and um, then the conversation really goes from there, uh, goes down a rabbit hole or whatever. But I really, I thought it was an in- incredibly vigorous and interesting debate. Uh, when we uh, got the first hour before a phone call, I was having to record this on my iPhone because uh, my laptop wasn't working and I got a phone call and it interrupted us about halfway through. So that's where I'm going to stop it. But, uh, there, the first hour we just start kind of getting into it. And then the second hour... Um, we get into it more, and um, you know, 
I think it's an, a great rigorous debate. I um, have total respect for the man. I I need to define these terms. For me, I I think at this point we got to get everybody on board with the fact that there's a minority of people, and they're not. They may happen to be white, but it's not white people. It's a minority of powerful people that pull the strings and manipulate stuff. And um, I think part of their game is keeping everybody in categories and keeping everybody divided. And if everybody gets on board with the basic idea of human dignity, human suffering, and, and the you know opposing that and finding a solution to the amount of people that are exploited and you know just kind of steamrolled by the status quo, the more people that get on that as a human issue and not a so-called race issue, I think the more effective we can be. And that's really my point. Um, I'm not in any way trying to minimize or poo-poo or put away the atrocity uh, that was you know, put, perpetrated on African-American people and African people, basically, for many different tribes and many different parts of Africa for a very long time in this country. But uh, we have covered that ground well, and it's not like people, I mean, it has to still be being taught. There are new kids being born all the time, but we need to broaden the issue. I mean, really, it's a, it's a bigger issue than that. There are a lot of people suffering and a lot of people getting fucked over in this world, and I think uh, we need to see this as all of our problems, regardless of the color of our skin. So, here, that's my uh, preface for this conversation, and... Uh, here comes the conversation itself. We talked a little bit when we were at that uh, party, um, Carol Pearsall's, the other day. And I, I have vague recollections of you being involved in uh, poetry slams and that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, poetry, I mean, I, I consider all of it an extension of theater, but, um, you know, I, yes, I'm involved in poetry. I'm an actor, of course, as well. Um, I'm an MC. I do, I always say I do everything but sing. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't do any singing, but <laughs> aside from that, performing arts-wise, I, I, I can do a little bit of it, or, yeah. So how did, I didn't know you were an actor, so how, uh, what's, what's that looking like? These days, have you been in anything recently? Or? Uh, I mean, it looks like it looks for everybody. You know, yeah. You, you, you move from the next thing to the next thing. Um, I'm not doing anything at the moment. I will, the next project that I have coming up, um, I actually will be a guest artist at University of Richmond uh, from one of the uh, professors there who is in the drama department named Chuck Mike. A really extraordinary brother who I got a chance to work with um, in as a, also as a guest there um, in their production of Raisin in the Sun. And uh, since then we formed a really good relationship um, and, I've, and I've seen his work well before meeting him, you know, mm -hmm. as well. And um, I'll be doing that. I um, was asked, and I don't know how official this is, so I guess I won't mention the actual company yet until I get some clarity in terms of <laughs> how official it is, but I've also been asked to do an upcoming reading for, uh, you know, one of our... Um, you know, one of our theaters here, regional theaters here as well. Um, I, Katrina and I are interested in doing some, producing, producing some work of our own also. Mm -hmm. And so I have been, you know, kind of working diligently, um, trying to just figure out the ins and outs of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I 
most spend most of my time on stage or coaching and or instructing, you know, for people on stage. I haven't spent a lot of time in the business end and so I'm really right. trying to like I said, work my way around learning more and more about what that is, what the it producing like. aspect of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. And and producing is uh, a fair amount of that is getting somebody, people to come off of money yeah. to do the production. <laughs> what it comes down to, yeah. yeah. And, and luckily, I've, I've got experience doing other types of shows. So, you know, that part of it I'm familiar with. Um, just getting my sense of, I guess, the, the sensibility around what that looks like for the theater community. Mm -hmm. and, and in what ways it needs to transform even. So, yeah, been spending some time there. So this is this is new getting your feet wet in the production of a play, but you've done a lot. You've been on a, in a fair amount, been in a fair amount of productions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've, I've been around for a minute. Um, in terms of professional theater here in Richmond, uh, I am still an ensemble actor with the African American Repertory Theater. Um, I've been with that company though since its inception, and uh, the impetus for that company, which was my, uh, who, the person who I consider most influential in terms of everything I've learned as an actor, um, a man named Ernie McClintock, who had at that time the Jazz Actors Theater, and so working with Ernie is really what uh, kind of propelled me into the Richmond scene in terms of, uh, in terms of acting, and then from there, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not uh, what I consider to be a, a career um, actor, so, you know, I, I'll do things, I'm, I am very selective about what I would like to, you know, what I try for, um, my life doesn't hinge on whether I'm in the next production or not, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not that um, attached in that way. So, um, you know, I've, I've done a number of things over the years, but um, I'm not always jumping, for lack of a better term, from one project into the next. Mm -hmm. So, um, you, you may see me sparingly, but the, the more and more me and Katrina start working on this, uh, like I said, figuring out what this whole producing stuff looks like mm -hmm. for us, um, I mean, that that may change. <laughs> that may change pretty drastically. Then so, I'm spending more time than I intend. <laughs> yeah, the the repertory theater that so there's two theaters that are in the what used to be the Empire Theater, right? Yeah, like, that's the, that's Virginia Rep. That's okay. Virginia, yeah, Virginia Rep. Uh, and well, there's two theater spaces. I mean, they're owned by the same uh, company. I can't okay. give you the full history behind it, but but the one you're talking about is is which repertory. No, African American Repertory Theater is a company that was started initially by Jerome Scott Smith. Smith, excuse me. Um, he uh, started it, which at that time we really called Living Word Stage Company. Mm -hmm. uh, Jerome, along with its current um, artistic director, uh, D.L. Hopkins, um, it was also a student of uh, Ernie McClintock. And uh, what we learned, uh, Ernie taught what was called the jazz actor's technique. Mm -hmm. And uh, Derome took that, uh, for all the purposes, chapter of life and kind of infused it into his own company. Um, when we started as Living Word, uh, we did work heavily from what we learned, you know, in jazz actors. Uh, we both saw the need to really create uh, larger, not to expand, I shouldn't say to create because it, it existed in many, in small ways, mm -hmm. but to really expand the presence of quote unquote black theater here mm -hmm. in um, the area. And in doing so, what we wanted to really be able to focus on is what we learned, what, what Ernie emphasized most, and that was developing ensemble. Mm -hmm. um, 
So Living Word was born, if you will, out of that idea. And it, uh, in addition to uh, just creating the company, the one thing that we looked at, that's, this is the part that was important for us then, was to really have a company with its own space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a number of companies uh, in the area right now. And, and I think that it's, it's a matter of strategy because um, it can get very expensive. Yeah. But having our own space really helped in developing the identity of the company sure. itself. And then um, it transformed into African American Repertory Theater. And it's 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 had its challenges, um, you know, like like any other organization, you know. That Does the African American exists. Repertory Theater have a home at this point? Uh, no, no, no. Yes. We're not. We, yeah, we're not operating out of that space anymore. Mm -hmm. And and at this point, um, we've done a lot of collaboration with different, um, you know, well, independent parties, but then certainly other companies as well. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the process of definitely uh, revitalizing, if you will, you know, the the company uh, because, like I said, we've had a number of challenges yeah. um, in terms of uh, participation, staff, um, dedication to, you know, different tasks, different things that really need it, that are critical. Um, DL has, who's the current artistic director, unfortunately kind of found himself in a position of really trying to bear the weight by himself mm -hmm. and, you know, that, that it's challenging. Is his name ringing a bell because he was the, was he in that play I saw? He was. Yeah, yes, he was yes, the lead yes. in, in race. Yeah. Yes, he was the, yes, he was the, the African uh, man in, in that, in that production, him, along with uh, Katrina, of course, and VC. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and what is, uh, yeah, Billy Christopher and then, uh, and Joe, and, and Joe, Joe, yeah, yeah. Joe Insko. Yeah, that's really interesting. That guy pops up for me in a lot of different places, almost as a strange kind of uh, avatar marker or something. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I won't go into it right Joe? now, but he's yeah. Oh, yeah. I worked out <laughs> at the um, Hanover Tavern when uh, I was doing a restaurant out there. I was managing a restaurant out there. There was a theater in there, and he did Greater Tuna oh, yeah. for uh, several weeks. And then I left Richmond and I moved to Minnesota, and he popped up. I guess I'm going into it. Oh, no. He popped up in a in a instructional video about harassment in the workplace. <laughs> And then he popped up in another movie I yeah. saw about Bill W. where he, he yeah. you know, plays a guy to me. And, you know, he just, he, he pops up here and there. And I've been wanting to get in touch with him and Carol Pearsall to do this <laughs> show. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Morgan ends up working the box office at this thing. Right, right. I walk in, the lights are going down. I'm like, that's Joe Insko's profile. I'd know that anywhere, even mm -hmm. in the dark. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So what makes, what's the jazz style? I mean, I'm assuming it's a method and, um, and is it a method that resembles jazz in the sense that there there's a room for improvisation? Uh, yes. but it's a different kind of improv. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And 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 what we uh, tend to define it as, and it's interesting because you know this is one of the um, aspects of Ernie's legacy that while right now I am, um, I guess I should say I, I've been disappointed about because it hasn't been properly preserved. There are individuals of us who are students of his here still in the, in the Richmond area. There are students of his who are in New York and who are scattered you know, throughout the country who have this information in our heads. But what uh, Ernie, unfortunately, was not able to do before he transitioned was to keep, you know, to fully document it. To write it down. Uh -huh. um, and, 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 you know, so there are different pieces of it. So many of us have different components that we pull together. But in answering the question, in a nutshell, yeah, that's a, that's a very... Um, I would say a real uh, cursory look at what the technique is. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't just so much about improvisation, but what Ernie really kind of focused on was really giving the actor an opportunity to do what they're supposed to do on stage, uh -huh. to really be able to 
take those moments where they explored more um, in a context that wasn't necessarily as rigidly directed um, uh -huh. as what you see. Maybe they uh, see something in the script and they want to elaborate on it. Oh, certainly. And feel certainly, something. Certainly. Uh -huh. And not to say, and let, let me be very clear, not to pretend or suggest that no other acting technique uh, allows you to do that. Right. Um, but what I have found, at least in terms of my experience, and I'm pretty sure I know others who could say similarly, is that um, many companies or many theaters, uh, while the actor certainly has that room to be able to bring things, if you will, to the table, um, directors have a very specific, very, in some cases rigid vision mm -hmm. for what they want to occur on stage right. and it does place limitations sure. on what the actor is able to do uh, with the situations that they're presented with. Mm -hmm. So uh, for us, what Ernie did was uh, kind of open up, if you will, the or, or unloosen, if you will, mm -hmm. the, the, the bolts around that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it definitely is not directionless, but it does. Yeah, is the director in on the jazz style? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and Ernie, and it's interesting because I, I, you're just making me flashback to so many things from technique lectures to classes to different workshops we did where, you know, Ernie's hat, because Ernie was an actor as well, um, so his hat changed from, as a director, he may make one choice versus what he would make, you know, as an actor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just, I felt like it was interesting. But back to the, the uh, phraseology that you used in terms of its uh, similarities to jazz music, um, you know, jazz music, a lot of times people have the misconception that jazz is, oh, you just get up there and do whatever you sure. want to do. And I'm and not one not, of those people. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I'm not even implying that you are. Yeah. I just want to be clear, though, that, you know, it, it definitely isn't, you know, uh, haphazard, free-for-all, sure. whatever you want to do. Right. There's, um, a, there's a theme, and a lot of times you use standards in order... Absolutely. So everybody agrees on the theme, Absolutely. and then they have time or the space to reconfigure the theme or reinterpret the theme yes. live as a communication. As and you were, I was going to bring this up too. Ensemble, yes. depending on if it's two guys, three guys, four. Well, women too. Two, right. three, right. four, right. five. Right. Whatever the combo is, it's a group of people who they have this in common. They've decided the theme. Maybe it's my favorite things, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then and they all understand that pretty intimately because it's a well-known song. Right. And then they can say, uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to explore the minor part of this. I'm going to explore the major part of this. Right. And, and, every, and, and there's all this trust and communication about making that happen. Right. So right. Right. Oh, would you say, you know, in a, in a nutshell, is that more of a, the way that it, it's approached? Yes, yes. I, I, think that that's, I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. Um, what I would add to that is the, the one thing... And this is, and, and I find this across the board, um, and, and it's one of those things that I constantly, whenever I have an opportunity to work with others, if it's, you know, coaching or, or, or whatever other levels of instruction it may be, um, is to really be able to be clear that this, there's a misconception that I, I guess I kind of tend to, I, tend to try to dispel mm -hmm. that along with understanding those different uh, elements that you kind of described, um, there's a misconception that um, somewhere along the lines, it's, it's all about pretend. Right. It's all about, you know, right. and, and that's not what the, at least not from my perspective, what our responsibility is. Sure. It's about authenticity more right. than it is about pretending. Right. And so when you come to the table, well, in this case, when you come to the stage, um, you know, you're bringing these different tools, but you're also bringing real experiences um, in whatever ways that you crafted to be able to, uh, you know, infuse them, so to speak, into what 
whatever characterizations you've developed and, you know, again, what situations you're dealing with and what you understand about that character. Um, so it's like you're taking those different elements and you're putting them together, but you're not necessarily just putting them together formulaically. You're right. really trying to explore in the sense that you're really opening up even more so for that authenticity mm -hmm. to really mm -hmm. take precedence um, in the relationships and the interactions that you have. Yeah, that's you're reminding me that uh, one of my favorite thinkers is this guy named Alan Watts, and he was a, like a British scholar who got really into Asian um, philosophy and, and sort of articulated it to the West uh, in the 60s. Yeah. And he was talking about the word play, that we initially, our first instinct when we hear the word play is to think of fooling around, yeah. right? Yeah. But, it's, but we, without much, even blinking an eye, we transition and use play to describe you know, um, theater, right. uh, an instrument, you know, um, all of these other forms of inhabiting a role or expressing oneself creativity, right. uh, creatively, right. it's playing. And, and he was talking about it because he was describing how um, the, the, the Hindu perspective of God is, is that the creator is at play in all of creation. Like he is inhabiting creation and he is trying on all these roles and, and to fully understand and to fully inhabit them uh, is he is he is everything. He's not standing outside as an objective as a director. Right, right, he is a member of the cast. He right. is the cast, you know, or she or whatever. You right, know. Right, right, right. We won't get hung up on that no, kind I of thing. But I, I fully understand. Yeah, it, that. And I think this applies to a lot of things that people do in general. Um, you either just follow uh, the rules of doing anything, whether it's a job or um, a creative thing or whatever, and then there's this space for creativity, which is synthesizing a unique vision based on yourself as an individual. Oh, yeah. And this is so. This is a way of of uh, encouraging that and and making it a method, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a shame that you didn't get it written down, but then it's awesome that there's the tradition exists in, in you and uh, oh, yeah. DL. And, and, and the thing mm -hmm. is, too, to just to speak to that, we yeah. do actually have um, the, the, the manuscript is being worked on. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it isn't just, you know, and while I said that it's floating around, so to speak, in many of our heads, um, there are those of us who, like I said, who had that experience and, and it, with Ernie um, who are taking uh, the initiative to be able to really document it and to document it appropriately. Mm -hmm. So um, the manuscript is being worked on, and, and, and I, I look forward to really being able to see it produced and to exist uh, among the literature that we have have, mm -hmm. you know, in relationship to theater and theater arts in general. I've been uh, driving around, like I was telling you before we turn on the mics, checking out all of these different landmarks mm -hmm. in town, and, you know, there's the Robinson Theater over here yeah. on Q, I, I think. think. Yeah. yeah, Q and 28th, I think. Yeah, like that. yeah. which I, I grew up on 28th and Grace, I never got that far north to, to mm -hmm. see that until mm -hmm. I started doing this, and uh, then there's the theater in Brooklyn Park, on Brooklyn Park boulevard yeah and yeah, both yeah. of those places seem like they would be great homes for because everybody can watch a movie at home now yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. but this is, seems like a time to put live theater in these spaces you know and i'll, I'll be honest with you that's interesting you brought that up um i've actually been uh, in conversation with people about the brooklyn park space anyway just in just in terms of trying to really see what it would take to acquire it um i don't know 
that that is the space that that necessarily will end up being you know so to speak what we use because there's a lot of things to consider in relationship to it in terms of the um the surrounding environment mm-hmm. um parking um being one of the major issues yeah. um, that i see um and really being able to make sure that we can create avenues so that one we get new folk, if you will, to take the, the, the trip into that area mm-hmm. to, to see live theater, yeah. but then also that, you know, we can accommodate them, um, you know, comfortably, because I think that that's one of the things that really um, is... When you I, say I comfortably, you mean like, Adam, so that they're not slightly off-put by the level of... When, uh, no, 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 I, when I say light that, in I the neighborhood. Really, no, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even thinking in those terms. When I say that, I'm simply talking about the reality of I got to drive to the space. I got to drive around for I don't know how yeah. long to try to find somewhere to park. Yeah. Um, you know, Virginia Rep is able to resolve, resolve that issue because they can hire valets and they can right. hire people who can, you know, park you in the lot, you know, that they, the space that they required. But when you're going into a neighborhood that already has businesses and has other activities that are established, it could be challenging sure. to get people, new people to come in when that is a factor. That, that's primarily what I'm referring to. Really, there'll need to be some adjustments and some cooperation with the surrounding inhabitants yeah. and the uh, businesses that exist already in order to make that work. Yeah, but that theater is for sale, right? Uh, it is. Um, yeah, that there's a for sale sign on it. Um, the owner has it. I think it's for sale by the owner. Um, I don't know, like I said, the full circumstances. And interestingly enough, I've never been in the space. And so that's that's where I'm at right now. I'm trying yeah. to actually get in the space and see what it looks like. But there's, there's other there's other spaces, too, in the city, like you kind of indicated in our conversation earlier. Um, I've seen other spaces, too, that I'm interested in, in terms of, uh, I think they'd be really unique homes uh, mm-hmm. to really be able to create uh, theater in particular. You know, uh, there's a... As you kind of alluded to earlier, um, I've been involved in the development of various uh, poetry-related mm-hmm. uh, events and uh, spoken word, uh, as well as uh, slam uh, competitions. But they they require a unique and a different space, I should say, yeah. uh, than what a full theater space would actually right. uh, require. Um, well, depending upon. Because I guess that that's layered also. Sure, I'm sure. Sitting thinking about it, you know. Um, but the basic about. thing is, like, if you walk into a show, like, you don't mind seeing backstage, and the people putting on the show don't mind you seeing it backstage. But if you're doing a play, you need right. to be able to preserve a certain amount of illusion yes. and all of that. So, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's what you're talking definitely, about, man. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Definitely, definitely. But I mean, what about the hippodrome? Like, what's going on? There, well, right. I've been involved. I'm actually involved with uh, two things that occurred there, um, and, 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 inter- and intermittently with various other things that happen. Um, the Hippodrome is a very amazing space. Um, I am very thrilled to see it brought back to life. I remember. And I don't even I can't even put a date on it, but I do remember um, at one point there was an attempt to make it into a community style center. Mm-hmm. And I remember going in there prior to it being renovated and very loosely renovated for the community space, um, going in for some other type of a community event. It might have been a lecture or something mm-hmm. to that degree. But ultimately, the point is, is to see it now. And I don't know if you've been in there. I haven't been inside. No, you, you got to go. It, it, I mean, it's, it's just an amazing space. And to the history in and of itself of the space alone is enough that should draw people, you know, to it. Mm-hmm. You really just want to see it and experience what's happening there now. Well, touch I on. I used to be. 
sorry. We'll touch on that a little bit because I have a yeah, glancing yeah. understanding that Second Street, which is where that was, was considered the Harlem of the South, and there oh, yeah. was a very, yeah, very, yeah. there was a, a legacy of uh, creativity, uh, art, culture. Oh, yeah. That's Maggie Walker lived right around there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, touch on that a little bit. Uh, so, so when you look at the history, and, and 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 you can't isolate two streets' history from the whole history of Jackson Ward in and of itself. Um, one of the sad and tragic things uh, about the Richmond that's unique in some ways. But also, it's one of those things that uh, we see kind of rearing its head in terms of impact today is the Jackson Ward community and the varying uh, communities as they were um, they were divided or as they identified, if you will, Navy Hill and the like, mm-hmm. was really heavily uh, uh, impacted by the development of the highway. Yeah. Um, you really displaced a lot of people yeah. um, and you really displaced a lot of businesses. So prior to that development, when people go now, when they see it, you know, you said... It's hard to picture. It, exactly, exactly. That and the Coliseum. The Coliseum knocked out a lot of it oh, yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, so you have to, you definitely have to read, you definitely have to study to go back to really get a bigger picture or sense of what that was like, but the community in of itself was genuinely that. It was a community that was mm-hmm. able to provide um, resources and to provide for the needs of the inhabitants. Mm-hmm. There were businesses, you know, of all kinds, and the Hippodrome was, certainly was a part of that. Um, in the context of uh, celebrities, if you will, um, who would come through, uh, they all came through to play at the Hippodrome. You know, mm-hmm. you had Eggleston's that was, you know, right down in the oh, yeah. street, uh, where they would stay. And so there was this real vibrant sense. Uh, where it was a hotel, right? Eggleston's hotel? Yes. That's it, right. It, well, it was. That's gone now, yeah, huh? So yeah, it is. Um, it's not there anymore. I forgot all... But it's like they, you know, you had all of these things that these ingredients uh, that not only attracted, you know, people from different, they took to come into the neighborhood, excuse me, um, for the entertainment, but you really created a space where there was a real, um, if you were indelible mark mm-hmm. in terms of um, having, again, the different uh, greats to come through to play, to mm-hmm. be able to perform, and to be able to utilize that space like some of the other uh, well-known, if you will, theaters mm-hmm. and, and playhouses uh, around the country. And the hip was a part of that. Yeah. Um, well, that legacy. The today, there's a couple of different things that go on. Um, I'm one of the uh, founding organizers, not meaning, and so I can be clear, not meaning I started it, but I've been a member since we started. I was one of the first of the four people who were sitting at the table. <laughs> that's what I mean by that. Um, uh, a show that we have now called Lyric Ave, which is a. a what we call a poetry-based variety show. Um, I am, I used to, I, well, I've served in a number of different capacities. I've served as artistic director. I've served uh, to help guide a number of the things in terms of performance. Um, but it's a poetry-based variety show where we have a combination of poets, uh, singers, uh, different types of musicians, vocalists. Uh, we write comedy sketches. We, uh, you know, we do what we call poetry ensembles mm-hmm. where um, I I hate that terminology, but that's another conversation. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, is we create these group co- um, poetry, collaborative poetry pieces um, to tell different stories. And um, and, and it's, it's really an amazing show. It happens monthly. Um, if you're interested in getting more information, you can go to thelyricavshow.com mm-hmm. um, to find out when the next show is and to, you know, just to stay abreast of the types of things. that. And that's doing. monthly at the Hippodrome. Yes. That's right. Um, 
the there's another there's another part of the hippodrome. So that's the that's the theater space. Then adjacent to it, of course, is what they call the mansion, which is the restaurant and the another performance space, if you will, mm -hmm. called the speakeasy, which is literally what that was again during right. that oh, excuse me during that time that we uh, were discussing. Um, you go down that side alley right there by the mansion to enter into the speakeasy, and it's a it's again it's a cozy space. Uh, well, I can't really call it cozy because it's a it's, it's it's a decent sized space, yeah. but it's um. There's a number of different musical acts and different things that happen there. A good friend of mine, Micah Ben Ben White, does um, how, what he calls Ha Ha's at the Hip, um, which is a comedy show. Um, I, and forgive me because I don't remember the date. I want to say it's on Thursdays, but I'm pretty sure that you can Google it. You can find yeah, everybody's it. got computers. So exactly. Just remember that name. And another good friend of mine that I work with, uh, Gerard Anthony, who is a local independent um, soul artist, um, he started and cr he created what he calls uh, the Saturday Soul Social, which actually is happening tonight. Um, I know people aren't going to hear that <laughs> now, <laughs> but it's the first Saturday of every month. Okay. And he brings in uh, independent, other independent soul artists again from out the, from around the country, um, and it's just an amazing time. You know, you bring in these artists that you may have some of them have um, hits that you may have heard, mm -hmm. some of them you may not have heard so much. But when you hear them, you definitely want to know. You know that you, you want to know more. Again. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and. Um, you know, and, and it's just it's just a really good time. Uh, we do that, like I said, the first Saturday of every month. And there are other, like I said, things that happen on the uh, other Saturdays and, and, and other um, days throughout the week. And you can go to their website uh, to get a, you know, I'm sure a full event listing. But it's a, it's a definitely, like I said, a spot that I think that's well worth uh, people coming to check out yeah. and experiencing some of the, the, the talent, the the. the the events and just the amazing entertainment that's there. Yeah, it hasn't been clear to me. Like I've had to go by there a couple times for my job, and I mm -hmm. couldn't really tell if if and when anything was going on there because there's not even anything. In, like, I mean, there are posters of yeah, of, yeah, of yeah, shows yeah, that yeah, happened back yeah, in yeah, the day yeah. there, but there's not there's not just some calendar on the. I don't know Front their website <laughs> off the top, but I know if you go to their website, you can sign up for the mailing list, and if you do that, trust me, you'll get the information, yeah. and you, you'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get probably more than you want was, at that point. I'm really, I'm really interested in this, and I'm really interested in, in, in connecting to everything that is going on in urban Richmond, meaning like between what is technically, you know, and officially considered Richmond the city, oh, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not, you know, necessarily the counties and all of that. But I've, I've gotten really this... I mean, I grew up over here on 28th and Grace, and I, I you know, went lived here, this neighborhood, most of my life, and I went to Bellevue and went to Henderson. And there's this impression in me from... What's that? Yeah, we no, talked about... You went to Henderson, yeah, too, right? I did. Yes, I did. And wait, how old are you the same? I'm four, I'll be 44 in March. Okay, yeah, you got me by a couple of years. I'm yeah. 41. Yeah. yeah. So we weren't there at the same time then, I guess, maybe... Uh -huh. Well, I think we would. I think if you would, we would have been there. The it's only the three years spread. Been, then. <laughs> like, yeah, in the eighth grade when I was in sixth. Um, though I took a lot of advanced placement classes, so I'm, I'm pretty sure we were in the same space at some point. But did they have you in uh, Delta One, which was where all the advanced yeah, action yeah. was happening? I know, uh -huh. I know, it was somewhere over there. I, I forget the <laughs> the, the breakup. Do you remember Mr. Hedgepath though? Uh, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Is absolutely. he still with us? Yeah, he is. He is. He is. Oh, awesome. He is. And in, in fact, um, he is. Uh, he's, he's he's a good friend and neighbor of the brother that I just mentioned, uh, Gerard Anthony. Oh yeah. Um, so he yeah he is he definitely is. Um, he was a sax player, wasn't he? 
No, that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. I don't, I don't know though about that mm-hmm. aspect of his life. I just remember. <laughs> I just remember from the from days at that time of being, you know, uh, in school, um, and I, 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 I can't think of everything that I that, that that sticks out for me in relationship to him. But I just remember him, and I know that when I see him, you know, it's just it's interesting to see. People in you know perspective when you can see them saw them as a child right and interacted as a child versus you know your adulthood. So he was a great teacher. I mean, he was one of one of those people that really like engages with the students and. Yeah. You know, new. You know, very good teacher of his subject, but also very Im- involved in everything else that was going on at that school, and and a, and a funny guy, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. approachable, and yeah. all that. Who else was it? that Delta one? I can't even. Oh well, it's not going to matter anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe some people will remember right, this. Right, right, right. Someone will hear this and say, "Oh yeah." That's a strange school, though. Like it, it, it seemed like it had a lot of facilities that were built for it that never g- got finished mm-hmm. or used. Like somebody okay. told me, there's you know there's sort of a dome you can see. There's supposed to be a planetarium. Oh yeah. In it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they never let us do anything but play basketball there. And there was a whole other gym full of gymnastic. Mm-hmm. You remember that the auxiliary gym yeah, back yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, I do. It just I never do. even let us in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I haven't been by there. In so long, I remember. I mean, I've gone back, you know, in subsequent years, mm-hmm. but I, I can't even like right now. I can't even picture in my mind the space to wonder what they may have done uh, today. You know? I just remember all the dividers that made. You know, we were in areas, and, mm-hmm. and the classrooms yeah, yeah, were just yeah, dividers yeah. with like felt on them right, or something like right, that. Right, right, some right, kind of right, fabric, right. and then the dirty plexiglass windows and uh, <laughs> and the radiators. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting to me when I think about Henderson, um, and I don't know, this the this is my days of activism, I have to really attribute to that time in middle school. Um, I mean, not, not fully and wholly, but to a degree, because one of the things that I really remember standing out is going to my locker, and over the locker, I remember like a banner or whatever those things were that they mm-hmm. had up at the time that said, Stop Apartheid. And at the time, I had no clue what that was. Mm-hmm. I just kept saying, "What is this word? What does that mean? Why, you know, mm-hmm. why? And why is that there? Why do yeah. I not see that every time I go over my locker?" And then, of course, subsequently, I learned, yeah. and I come become very heavily involved in a movement uh, for something that you know I I would never have imagined at that time, um, in a broad sense, would be a very large part of my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, and my mission, if you will, um, in terms of, you know, what I think my contributions are uh, to the world, mm-hmm. so. And so, um, I mean, we're not done with the entertainment stuff, but I want well, to no. talk about the activism stuff, and I guess this kind of goes together in, in a way, ideally, oh, yeah. you know, because, yeah, 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 yeah. um, I mean, I, I guess activism on one level is like uh, highlighting and putting a spotlight on and stopping some kind of injustice or inequality or something, I mean, that would be the, the heart of it. Um, and like we were talking about before we turn on the mics, then there's got to be a positive thing that goes along with that. It's not just about conflict and about confrontation, that there is a culture that feeds through what is being promoted there. Um, so the thing that I remember you talking about that I knew a little bit about, what, Jazz Poet Society, were you involved in that? And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't a part of Jazz Poet Society. Oh, okay. But what I, my, so... 
in terms of poetry here in um, the Richmond area, and I know that there are other groups, so I don't say this to exclude anybody who is doing something, because I know that there are some who, um, who, who may challenge it, but in terms of what we see today in the sense of the open mic and in the sense of, uh, for all other purposes, poetry-based uh, shows, mm -hmm. uh, I was amongst those uh, groups that help resurface that, if you will, in the Richmond area. Uh -huh. And so JPS, before it became JPS, um, again, uh, the two people that I mentioned earlier, D.L. Hopkins, Jerome Scott Smith, um, and uh, S. Ross Brown, and there was a couple, there were a couple of other members who, I, I don't remember everybody that was a part of it, um, Patrick Memu, who was one of the people who was a part of JPS. I remember um, that name. Mm -hmm. They all had what was called the Southern Revolutionist Literary Guild. And they used to literally do uh, open mic. If, well, it wasn't open mic, it was more of a showcase. Um, they, and they invited certain people to perform. Mm -hmm. um, our group was one of them. But they literally did the poetry in their apartment. At the time, it was uh, on 200 East, interestingly enough. Um, and they lived right above the apartment where Ernie was. And 200 we, East 2nd? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, on Broad. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I didn't, yeah clarify that but I remember them doing that and it was just it was really it was really an amazing experience to me because I'm like wow I would never have thought to organize and have people come into my house uh, for any kind of you know anything mm -hmm. like this and they were they made it work they made it work so well to the point where eventually uh, the work transitioned to uh, what at that time was a, a restaurant called the underground uh, down in Chaco oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, was it underground railroad or just underground well yeah underground railroad yeah yeah I mean we just colloquially called it mm -hmm. underground but yeah underground railroad was what it was called um, and interestingly enough you saw uh, you know the burgeoning of this whole uh, the far relative purposes culture of, of open mic uh, people attempting and working on developing that type of a, a style event, so to speak, uh, in the area. And uh, then by that time, JPS, you know, the Southern Revolutionist Literary Guild, for whatever reasons, um, I, I disbanded is probably the right word. Someone else may be able to correct me uh -huh. if there's a different word. <laughs> um, but then, and so the JPS formed. And you know they a lot of what they did from that point on uh, was certainly uh, had its roots in that space, and um, I had a group uh, at the time I was with a group we had called ourselves the Ghetto Diplomats. Uh, we were we were always looking for a different name, yeah. Uh, but we got that term from uh, <laughs> there, uh, and I forget exactly who it is now, but someone. Uh, actually was attempting to derogatorily refer to Huey Newton as a ghetto diplomat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they, they, they kept calling him this, this ghetto diplomat. And we thought about what our mission and our roles were mm -hmm. you know, at the time and what we felt we had to share in terms of our work um, and, and um, artistry. And so we, we adopted that and we never kind of got away from, from uh -huh. it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, man, that, I, those are some very, very interesting days. <laughs> days so how would how would you define being you know I know that's just a colorful name well it's partly a colorful name not just a colorful name but what would be ghetto diplomacy to you? Uh, I mean I, I don't think that that's a term in all sincerity that I would use um, <laughs> like at this point. Um, what but, was it what, then? But in a general sense I think that the overall thing that we extracted from it 
um, or that I, if I were to try to extract something from it now even was the idea of really being able to, as what they, what uh, Malcolm used to always say, make it plain. Mm-hmm. To really be able to share information with the masses of the people in a way that was very easy to understand, very clear, and to be truthful and honest with them about the circumstances for all other purposes that created this condition of the ghetto. Right. So... Uh, you know, and I, I've been interested in this. As I said, I grew up as a child in this neighborhood, and you know, um, the previous conditions of this city were became apparent to me around this time of year uh, when I was maybe nine or ten years old at, at, at Bellevue because they would start putting out the uh, the comic books. I don't know if you remember the they were golden classics they were called, and they had there were uh, biographical comic books about um, Benjamin Banneker and Frederick Douglass mm-hmm. and. Uh, Crispus Attucks and okay, it's not sticking out for me, but I, I'm yeah, yeah, that may have been. I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, and these uh, I looked them up recently online, and they still exist. Like people oh, still yeah. sell them, <laughs> okay. but you know, they're historical comic books, and you know, and so I like comic books, so I started yeah. reading them. And, and the only thing I knew at that point was the context of just being a kid in Churchill, like any other kid, as far as I was concerned. You know, there were visible differences, you know, to some degree or a great degree, <laughs> but but culturally, we were all living in the same culture here in Churchill like we're all going to the same school we're all playing the same playground we're all doing the same stuff and then I got to read those comic books and saw oh there's a story behind this that I haven't heard yet and uh, I look like the bad guy in this story (laughs) and uh, and so you know that became something of a cause for me you know uh, being my own kind of diplomat I mean I essentially grew up in what is considered one of the ghettos of Churchill in the 70s and um, 70s and 80s and certainly wasn't a place where other people from like that I met as I got further out in you know the West End and stuff would even set foot you know even when I became friends with them in high school they wouldn't come here and hang out at my house their parents wouldn't let them so I became sort of a diplomat myself for this and you know as I got more and more active myself and you know politically and interested in the music of you know, especially during the late 80s and early 90s when hip-hop stopped being street party anthems and became more socially conscious after Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5 and then it gets more and more, that gets to be what it's about for a while, you know, Public Enemy and all of that. Very engaged, very interested. I work at William Fox. I coach kids in the after-school program. And the thing that I've always been sort of unclear on is what is what is plain about where we go from we we identify the problem, you know, and, and you know we know what the elephant in the room is with the initial setup of the problem, and then the ongoing integration of our society, um, and then as we do this for decades and decades, what is the ideal that we go to? Like, what is the what's that doesn't seem plain to me at all. That do we all do we want to? Does everybody want to come together and recognize our similarities rather than our differences? And are our differences genetic or are our differences cultural? You know, and uh, so, yeah, so that's a lot of lot to chew on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah so you, you you have to recognize that that's a very layered question. Um, yeah, and I don't say that in any way to try to evade it because I mean, trust me, I'm the person that will sit here and in detail. Well, let's get into it piece by piece. Why not? But I think <laughs> that it's very clear that one of the I mean, one of the things, excuse me, that has to be very clear 
is that when we try to talk about solutions and we talk about the direction in a broad sense, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a full human context, um, that direction cannot be centered around the idea that everybody is, for all other purposes, going in the same direction uh, based on the same, in the same context, in the same direction, under the same circumstances, with the same consequences, if you will, uh-huh. in terms of uh, social condition. Now, so we don't have a one size fits all. No, there absolutely yeah. is not. Can't be. Absolutely is not. Right. And because of that, it requires that the um, work to be done on the part of the differing groups that we, and we haven't pointed those out yet, but the work that has to be done on the part of the differing groups is just that. It's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be different until um, we get to a point where we really be able to erase these uh, lines or to yeah, eliminate these lines, if you will, of the imbalances of power. Yeah, and what are the different group. groups? Like, if you, let's get our hands dirty and try to say what the different groups are. Oh, yeah, that, uh, to me, that's let's, not getting dirty. That's just being truthful. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. I, you know what I'm I, saying, man. Yeah, like, yeah, roll yeah, up yeah, our sleeves and get you know so so we're talking about a couple of different things um and i'm going to put it in a relationship to what you mentioned in regards to you growing up here in this area and i find it interesting because i know that i I grew up in church well i I grew up when i say grew up i'm talking about from because i didn't i wasn't born here in richmond um my mother and i came here in 80 and I, i was here you know up until the time i went to college i went to college at howard came back here um but the times when i was from my my adolescence I was in Church Hill, mm-hmm. and whereabouts? And at the time, uh, over on thirty. Well, if we first started out in, on Braille Street. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's called Oakwood Condominiums right now, which I think mm-hmm. is very interesting. By the way, <laughs> um, how you have condominiums next to the landfill. But aside from <laughs> at the time, it was called Rittenhouse Square, and my mother was a manager for the um, you know apartment mm-hmm. owners. And so when we first came here, we were there. But then we moved around the corner onto Thirty Fifth Street. Um, and we were at uh, what was another. It was owned by the same people, but we had another complex called Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's called today. I know that it's still there, but I don't know. What it's Would that be today. like on um, close South Side, like uh, the old Midlothian, like a little closer? No, no, to no, 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 not Midlothian. It was called Middle East. Oh. It was also on Thirty Fifth Street. Uh, oh. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Both those buildings. Thirty Fifth and mm, I want to say that's Thirty Fifth and M. Uh-huh. I think I'm. I think I'm right about that. Near um, Shimbrazo Boulevard. Yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. It's a. It, it's it par- It's parallel to Shimbrazo Boulevard. So um, if you know where the Shimbrazo Market is, yeah, yeah. it's directly behind that. Um, and then from there, we moved into a house again on 35th Street, but closer to the other end where we were mm-hmm. on Rio. And so. And where did you come from? Uh, I was born upstate in what's called Williamson, New York. It's, uh-huh. like it's a small town outside of Rochester. I mean, okay. People are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born there, and like I said, my mother and I came here um, in '80. And uh, interestingly enough, I'm still here. Because <laughs> if you'd have asked me a certain year, a number of years ago, I would never have told you that I would still be here. Yeah. Lo and behold, I am. So. Yeah. We'll, Richmond does it. We'll to get people. to that. <laughs> yeah, Snares yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. 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 So, so to the point, 
that as you mentioned how you grew up you know in in this in far in the broader context of the neighborhood you grew up in this neighborhood i grew up in a section of it where there were absolutely no traces whatsoever of of white people mm -hmm. um and, and and let me be real clear that doesn't mean i i didn't see them in other parts of the city i right. you know i had some sort of aversion to interacting with them i was i mean i, I clearly knew that you know there was this dynamic mm -hmm. there but in terms of where i lived it didn't exist and so, you know, I have friends who, when they talk about where they grew up, they grew up in the exact opposite. They mm -hmm. grew up in neighborhoods where they were the only African family or, or, or one of the only ones, you know, that was there. And because of, and so with that experience, for me, um, what it does in terms of answering your question to go back to, you know, kind of unpacking some of these layers mm -hmm. um, in terms of the groups that we're talking about, what, we, what we're looking at are conditions that are really created by economics. We're looking at conditions mm -hmm. that are really created um, in a real... Privilege. Oh, yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. But in a class context, um, mm -hmm. that really helps to drive the other areas of segregation, if you will, mm -hmm. or... Um, or um, developing these or defining excuse me these different groups um, so from my perspective it starts there it starts at the economic level and because of that uh, you're looking at a number of differences that that become really important in terms of group survival uh, group livelihood mm -hmm. group uh, self-sufficiency if you mm -hmm. will or the lack thereof because right. um, when I look at you know the conditions of people of African descent we're talking about more so a lack thereof as right. opposed to it existing so we're, we're looking at um, class we're looking at race we're looking at gender of course mm -hmm. um, it's become extremely apparent now that we're looking at uh, other areas as well uh, sexual orientation becomes right. something that is very critical um, in the context that education people oh yeah Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Levels of education, again, or the lack thereof. Right, right. Um, and, and so you have all these different, you know, layers. You have these different groups. Um, as I kind of alluded to, I believe that when we look at the, the class conditions, at least my approach, I should say, when we look at the class conditions, um, one of the things that uh, we don't really pay a lot of attention to is that class is not, um, class sometimes these groups intermix, if you will, within the class context. Uh, so you have a sector, if you will, of um, quote-unquote poor whites mm -hmm. that may not identify in the same ways with uh, sectors of poor, um, and I hate this term that people use, uh, people of color. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, so you may have, you know... Well, because what it, do you prefer as, I mean... It, 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 it really varies. I think that my, my personal tendency is to really be able to uh, speak to the interests on the level of how a person identifies. So for myself, you'll hear me identify myself without, you know, um, any type of compromise as an African man. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that, that's where it is for me. Um, for that, you know, people insert whatever they choose, black, Afro-American, and all these other, you know, things. But the landscape is not just quote-unquote black and white anymore in Richmond. Um, at one point in time, it largely was. Today, there's a very obvious, you know, an unquestionable, significant Latino community. There's right. A very unquestionable you know, Asian, Asian community. A very, very, many different kinds of right. Asian. Well, right. but, but like we're not, but we're obviously, even when we're talking about black and white, we're not talking about just black and white because there are a lot of gradients of economics, education, and attitude within both of those so-called 
groups. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, which I think for me, it's, I have felt that the language of the, of talking about that in this town for a very long time has pretty much almost always treated it as if it's just two distinct groups. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe we are finally getting to a point where we can talk about how there really aren't two. I mean, there are the people who do not give a shit about the city, have no interest in this at all, um, who live, you know, outside of the city's borders. Mm-hmm. You know, they live in, in Western Chesterfield. They live in Short Pump. They live mm-hmm. in the West End. They don't care what's going on down here. Yeah. You know, they ran themselves off a long yeah. time ago. They're yeah. not interested. Then there are Caucasians like myself who've grown up in urban Richmond who have been schooled with, uh, socialized with, and part of a, um, an integrated Richmond mm-hmm. who never had those attitudes, whose parents didn't have those attitudes, who, who don't, you know, never had that. That's just never a part you, of their life. You got you to, you got to recognize though, uh, Curtis, that you're, 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 you're in a very, um, <laughs> isolated category in terms of, uh, that being a, 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 a broad experience. Still, it's, like it's here. not broad. And I'm not suggesting, you know? <laughs> and let me be clear, I'm not suggesting that it's invalid. I'm right. saying that to say that that's not necessarily the experience of the majority of whites within this town. Um, well, within the city of Richmond, there's a lot more, uh, Caucasian, people in Richmond that are like me, maybe they didn't grow up in Churchill, they grew up in the fan, but they grew up in the Richmond public schools. They are engaged and interested and, you know, feel like seeing Richmond be one culture, you know, and, and, and a culture made up of the various aspects of it. I mean, yes, it's the voice of that. I think people are, are, are have always been very shy about how to talk about that, you know, yeah. and, and I think, and very sensitive about how oh, they yeah, talk about that. Definitely, definitely. We're and, uncomfortable. We're absolutely uncomfortable. We are, and it's, and it's like, and, and the and the kids like myself who grew up in these neighborhoods and went to these schools and then went in, went to Bellevue, I mean, went to VCU or went to college with wanting to have something to do with all of that, then didn't feel welcome as activists within that culture, you know, and and felt like basically being told you don't have any place here because this isn't your struggle it isn't your culture uh it's not for you you know and and if you're here it confuses the issue you know because that's everybody's thing is they would rather simplify everything down to binary opposition good bad right wrong this that and it's not that simple i mean nobody no human being is that simple no issue is that simple but it takes a lot of work to get at the specifics of it you know, which, well, you know. It, it takes a lot of work without question. And it's going to continue. It's always going to take a lot of work because there are always changes. I mean, there are things that are always constantly evolving, constantly changing. And yeah. there's realities in, you know, in, a, in, in the context of life that have to be considered. Um, what I would say is that I think that, you know, a lot of the uncomfortability that you mentioned that, and you know, that comes up in relationship to having any kind of conversation, um, whether it's race related, whether it's, um, you know, issues of dynamics of power or whatever it is that points out injustices. A lot of that uncomfortability comes up, in my opinion, simply because people have not been able to engage the subjects honestly. Yeah. Um, when you remove either certain realities of, of the base of the story or when you are not uh, really privy even to certain information to give you a full right. context of the story. Um, it, it helps to foster some of those attitudes that you alluded to that uh, really do say that, yeah, I need to be able to come and address this problem in a particular way. But 
What I also know is that, for at least my work, I've been real fortunate uh, to be able to work with a number of amazing people here in the city uh, who I believe are very genuine, very sincere about their interest for um, seeking justice on a number of different issues. Mm -hmm. um, some have, uh, some may, they may not necessarily, we may not agree, and I don't think there's anyone on the planet who does, um, on everything, you know, point for point, but in the broad context of as simple as being able to say that we know that this particular issue, this is where I stand, this mm -hmm. is what I think is right, this is what I think uh, should be supported. Uh, for all other purposes, I, I know that I can point out many who um, have really been able to make an impact on a number of things uh, here in the area. However, to go back to your earlier question when we were talking about, you know, really, again, starting to unpack some of this even more and really pull off these layers, I think that there are things within individual group contexts that are important to understand mm -hmm. in terms of group identity, in terms of developing and understanding group interests, in terms of really being able to figure out where, where do I fit in, if you will, as a group. Um, one of the things that I think that is uh, disheartening is that, you know, for example, you know, um, as a person of African descent, we talk often about unity and unifying and saying mm -hmm. that we need to come together. Uh, everybody may not necessarily know why we need to come together or what we need to come together around. We just know that we need to do it because it makes sense, um, which for all other purposes is valid. Well, if you put it in the context of the play, we have to be an ensemble. We have to work together. You know, we are going to be interacting and we share a sharing space. So, you know, unity or or an ensemble of different people playing their roles. You oh, know? yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. It, it, and, it, and what it does is it, 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 it makes it clearer that when you start defining what the group is and what the group's interest is and what are, excuse me, and, and how those different roles that you alluded to um, really do come together to resolve problems, to deal with issues, and to really be able to advance humanity um, in, that con in that way, um, what it does is it creates even more of a need for the honesty that I was referring mm -hmm. to, uh, to be on the table. And unfortunately, in many ways, um, again, speaking from an African-centered perspective, we don't always have that. Mm -hmm. We don't always have that luxury to be able to come to the table um, honest, not, not so much coming to the table of being honest from, from our own vantage point, but being able to come and deal with information in an honest way, as if, you know, it's far rather the purposes, it's, it's what's well, there's, as uh, Honesty is a, is a very tricky word. I mean, you know, like, people can unload all the shit that's in their head that is resentment, that's anger, that is, you know, many, many things that are emotional. And that level of uh, frankness or that level of um, unfiltered expression uh, is, cannot be, can sometimes not be constructive. So, yeah. you know, in honesty and truth, you know, speaking to the truth of a situation with tact and diplomacy and, uh, and compassion, you know, is really, is, is, is this thing, it's like you've got to have balls to wade into this thing, you know, because nobody, it's not because people are afraid of the truth, it's that, um, it's like not knowing exactly how someone else feels about something, you don't even want to uncork that genie from the bottle, you know, 
Because you may be, you know, you don't want to hurt, open a, a wound. You don't want to salt a wound. You don't want to, you know, I don't even know if there's a wound. I mean, you, it would stand to reason, to common sense, that there's a wound around these issues. Actually, yeah, you know? I, I know that there's a wound. Very <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's so much unhealed and undealt with trauma. Um, again, when I look at, at our story, um, it, 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 there's, there's so much unhealed and undealt with trauma, which is part of the reason why we continue to be victimized, in my opinion. Um, I do believe that when I say honesty, because I, 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 I want make, to make sure that people are clear, I agree with you that, yeah, you can come to the table with a certain amount of emotion, but that's not necessarily the same thing as honesty. Right. And being able to speak your mind isn't necessarily honesty. Um, being able to speak your mind is just that. But if you're speaking wrong information, the information right. is still wrong. Right. So what I'm talking about is challenging those things that we know are incorrect about the history right. and correcting them, mm -hmm. making the genuine genuine effort to be able to put in place the real information as opposed to what we've been for other purposes. And, and, and in many cases, it's interesting because there's some information that people know is incorrect, but we just still let it float anyway. What would be an example um, of that? Well, let's... <laughs> where do we start? Um, well, you know, you, we don't to, have to get a lot of them. Just to, no, no, yeah. no, 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 I know, I know, I know. But for me, that like I said, it, it literally looks like that. Like I think that there's this, there's so much misinformation that's there. Um, I'll give you a very, very basic, basic example. Um, in the context of this country, and I know some people are going to become uncomfortable and upset about this, but in the context of this country, um, it's it's constantly taught that uh, Christopher Columbus made some sort of discovery, if you right. will, and as a result, um, he's, he's, he's um, highlighted as a person who um, is valuable in some sort of way in history um, because um, that was his contribution, discovering whatever that's supposed to mean, right. this, uh, this language. When there were already people, as Kurt Vonnegut yeah. says, living here, living creative and productive lives on this landmass before exactly. he got here. <laughs> but that... It, that and everything that extends from that part of the truth is not what's taught. And that's well, what we are at the point, though, in the popular culture where nobody no longer looks at Christopher Columbus as an unquestionable discoverer hero. I mean, it's even on The Sopranos, the kid is arguing with his father that, you know, Christopher Columbus was a, uh, an invader and a, and a rapist and all of this stuff. And his dad's going, he's a fine Italian-American. I mean, pop culture has addressed something of, of this. Yeah, <laughs> you I know, mean, maybe it's, that, I don't know what the it, curriculum is like in school. That's what I was going to say. You know? Be that as it may, I'm talking about in the context of what's taught. And that's what I'm referring to, school yeah. curriculum. No, the, there's no textbook that you're going to pick up um, that's utilized within the school systems that's going to say that very specifically. Well, they're not going to say he's a rapist but, um, <laughs> or an uh, invader, but I mean, haven't they by now altered the language to say that this is from a complete, a very specific vantage point? They haven't, like, you know, he was the first I mean, European, I mean, to not, come over here, or and they're not even sure about that at this point. But, but no, and, and, that's, and that's not true either. Like, right. You know, you got Lee Erickson. You, uh, right, the and, Vikings, right. Yeah, and, and the country in and of itself was named after Amerigo Vespucci. Right. Who came out. And Columbus landed in the Canary Islands or something, right? I mean, he didn't even hit the landmass, I think. Well, he didn't, he didn't hit where he was attempting to go, that, that right. for sure. And that's, that's, a, that's a whole other... Um, layer, if you will. But that's that's just one example and one point. Uh, when I say that there are many things, uh, you when you have it, 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 it can it may seem like it would I'm trying to be what people consider to be nitpicky about one particular thing. But when you have uh, 
far better purposes, uh, decades and generations, I shouldn't even say decades, but generations sure. of a particular curriculum that supports a certain idea, right. it becomes something that's institutionalized mm-hmm. in a way that while, yes, you may be right that there are certain aspects of popular culture that have addressed it, well, even we haven't addressed it in the even whole. Even alternative culture in this country, I mean, my peers, no one that I am friends with or even... I would say that very deep in, in like six degrees of separation, except that story, except that, that concept of supremacy or that any of that anymore, you know, regardless of what's being taught in schools, there's another level of education available to us. And I think we are more discerning as a culture in general than, because you can't control all the apertures of information anymore. They're not all coming through the TV and the newspaper. Everybody's talking to each other on the internet. I mean, shit and quiz show, John Torturo says, Oh, we got. We call it now. We call these people Indians because some white guy got lost. I mean, that was in a mainstream Hollywood movie in 1990 something. So, yeah. I mean, those things. That's a good example. But like, there. I mean, there words. I, I want to get at some of the the deeper stuff that are that people use, like justice and um, like. What do we really mean by that? Do we mean justice? Do we mean healing these? this trauma do we mean revenge do we mean uh, uh eye for an eye do we mean a turning of the tables do we mean uh you know i mean because the trauma it doesn't just belong to the victim i mean most people will argue as far back as as when slavery was first trying to be abolished that is as bad for is it it's bad for everybody it's bad for people in different it's ways. <laughs> no, it's different. It has its, it has its negative impact on, on certainly the the victimizer certainly has its neg- um, the its negative uh, repercussions, if you will, in relationship to the victimizer. But no, it's not as bad. No, and I, I, I wouldn't say that, of course. But and so your so your question, and because there's, and like I said, this is it, these are the kinds of things that I feel like, and I, and again. Don't take this as a direct uh, direct response to you asking the question, but these are the kinds of things that when we, when I say we need to have genuine, honest conversation about, it needs to be that, um, and they're not things that are answerable in twenty five words or less. Right, <laughs> they're just not. Well, that's why we're having a tantric conversation about it because right, right. nobody's going to stop us unless you got to be somewhere. For, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You exactly. Know. Exactly. So, we, so when people, so I, I want to make sure that listeners are clear that, um, you know, there's the end all be all answer, so to speak, to that question is something that is going to need to be worked out on a mass level, not not just from individuals like myself or anyone else who may consider themselves to be. See, I uh, disagree with that. I think it's totally about people like you and me talk, sitting at a table talking about it and then carrying that conversation into our interactions with people in our immediate surroundings and that's the most powerful thing people can do you yeah, know but it doesn't cre- it doesn't start with us i mean i i, I don't agree I, yeah, we clear we don't agree on it but no i think that critical mass and ch- excuse me critical change comes from the masses it doesn't come from the vanguard uh-huh. the vanguard is important and the vanguard plays its role but if the vanguard was sufficient in making the change we would have done so a long time ago. well change We've takes a long great time women and men you know? in history forever and those great women and men, as much impact as they've been able to have, as much as women have been able to learn about them, they still haven't been able to make the changes in the basic things that we started this conversation. Well, cause, right, because systems... So it doesn't, it doesn't start with that thing. Right. It I has mean, to be on a mass level. Yeah, but I mean, it, well, it, you don't do one or the other. Like, you know, I, I mean, my, my feeling is like, you know, I've watched or I'm educated about or have watched many revolutionary things happen that appear 
to not have much of an effect. But they do have a huge effect. And the way that things change and the way that things are altered and the way things evolve is gradual over time. Um, even a revolution that, that you know, brings people out in the streets and has mass protests and things like that has to get you know, um, integrated back into the society with the changed mindset so that in practice these changes can take place. Because it's, it really is in the day-to-day -day activities that the big changes have to happen. You know, like the way that people live, you know, every day, because when we are engaged in, in the big, um, powerful movements that bring a lot of immediate gratification and satisfaction and attention to an issue, everybody's got to go home after that, you know, and they have to go back to the communities where they live. And then how do you what do you do with that information? And and I think it's really important to point out that uh, very often we're looking macro and we're not behaving. You know, it's that think globally, act locally thing. How do you act on a daily basis that's there to heal the trauma, you know, and interact with people? And I think that's a very interesting point that gets missed a lot is how do people live with each other and do they live with each other and how do they treat each other on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that's an unimportant question. I, I still think that there are two different things in relationship to uh, how the overall, the qualitative change occurs. Mm -hmm. But what I, what I don't want to do is get away from your initial question, which was in terms of defining justice and what that looks like mm -hmm. um, in the context of, um, for other purposes, all this work, all this activism and whatever it is that we may be referring to. Um, that and what it means for Everyone, I definitely can't speak to. What I can be clear about is what it means to me. Yeah. Um, and when I speak of justice uh, for myself, I'm speaking in what I know is, uh, uh, for all relative purposes, a social group context where there is a change in relationship, in the, excuse me, in the dynamics of power. There's a change in the dynamics of, uh, for all other purposes, being exploited, being oppressed, being repressed, and finding yourself in a position of not being able to maximize or live out your potentials as a human being. Uh, for me, that, that's where the, that's the, the meat, if you will, mm -hmm. of what I mean in relationship to justice. Um, as, as in a broader context, or, or actually, it's not broader, it's actually more narrow in scope. Um, when we look at uh, situations of poverty, when we look at situations of uh, mass incarceration, when we look at situations of homelessness, when we look at all of these different uh, things that we can point out where we can see very clear disparities on a racial level, very clear disparities on a class level, very clear disparities, you know, that, that are not just by happenstance. Right. Um, I'm talking about changing those specific things. Right. Eliminating those conditions and is so this for everyone in the country or specifically for african-americans well i mean for anyone that's affected because everybody in the country isn't uh suffering under those different things well there's yeah all right well that's part one of iman shabazz e curtis Payne talking in my parlor on Cedar Street in Union Hill. Part two coming up later this week or next week. Yeah, next week. I'm really having a hard time getting my ass in this chair to record these podcasts or even post them. And then when I do, my fucking computer starts fucking with me. I've just been 
turning it off and on and doing all this crap and waiting while the little wheel spins and it says audacity is not responding no shit it's not responding I gotta get better equipment and I gotta schedule more of these podcasts but I'm still committed to doing this those of you who are interested and are enjoying it it's been it's been hard to juggle all the things that I got going on and uh but I'm gonna get it get it figured out hey Come by Restaurant Depot if you're in the restaurant business. I'll give them some... I'm, I'm, their, I'm, I'm their field marketing rep. And so, you know, I might as well plug it on my podcast, right? And save you a lot of money. Two, three hundred dollars a week. Speaking of money, I still appreciate any support you guys want to throw towards the podcast. Kicking some, kicking some ducats. Some snaps on the cast. And uh, any feedback, maybe this podcast will get some people feeding back. Check one, check two. Yeah, all right. Peace, kids. I'll talk to you soon. Night, day, namaste.